<laughs> no, you haven't. Okay, so this comes from a report from Variety, which is basically, it's just kind of upping all of Warner Brothers and DC at the moment because obviously and we were talking about this only last week you know with the whole hashtag release the Snyder Cut which apparently they did do a little thing at the end by the way saying that would cost millions of dollars yes. and it's probably not going to happen but it was generally wait saying, they had it they addressed the Snyder Cut on yeah, their they slate said, chat like it was basically at the very end being like yeah that'd be too expensive to do it's very unlikely good yeah good I'm yeah. glad finally is someone is talking fucking sense yeah. about this. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but generally it was kind of full of praise for DC Slate, not only for uh, Birds of Prey, which is looking to get an or rating now similar to Joker because Joker did so well um, off the back of an or rating. Is that new? Was it always intended as or rated? I think that maybe they were looking at kind of 12s to 15s, but now they're like, it is going to be or rated. It's obviously not going to be as bleak as Joker, but it's going to be the, that bit more violent. That and trailer looks to be that, yeah, Deadpool, Deadpool space. Kind yeah, of. exactly. And um, there have been other plans. They're still looking for a uh, director for The Trench, which is the Aquaman spinoff. They're still looking to do that Flash spinoff, which people had thought had kind of fallen by the wayside. But apparently they're waiting for Ezra Miller to finish uh, up with Fantastic Beasts. But the big piece of news that everyone uh, got from this is that apparently they have approached Michael B. Jordan from Creed, who I have met, who is lovely. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, gee, oh, I, just, I just love how you go. Lost right over that. He is lovely. Who D. I have met. Uh, basically, uh, fangirled stands. Is that the right word? Stands. I yeah. was. I was the only one in that room who wasn't. I was being completely professional. If yeah. you watch that review, and you know what's so annoying? I My, watched it today. You didn't come across as a stand. I know. I was. I was really well behaved. But that interview is only three and a half minutes long because basically I had all these feckin' fangirls in before me taking all the selfies and after me taking all the selfies, which took away from my time, my professional time oh. to actually promote the movie, which I was not that happy about no they were journalists they were just like girls who had somehow wheedled their way in I don't know how they managed it I have never wheedled my way into a hotel press room and I mean it strictly said no uh, selfies with the talent so I didn't take one oh like if you're a journalist don't ask at the end or whatever yeah that's but awkward. I mean, like, yeah, it was just completely ridiculous. It like, even bullshit. the girls after me were saying, like, oh, so-and-so said we could come in and say hi to Michael. And I was like, oh, really? This is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea that you had the selfie before you saw the poster and then you're like, come on, guys. <laughs> Try to have a bit of decorum. You're meant to be journalists. Um, But, yeah, he could be the next Superman. They have started having talks with him. And, I mean, I do think a while ago when they they were talking about a new take on Superman. This was kind of discussed because um, even though, and it, it's really sad because like literally two days ago, Henry Cavill was talking about how he doesn't want to let go of Superman just yet. He thinks there's more story oh. to tell. And then this comes out like the next day. Can you blame him? That's still unfinished business. All. Yeah, like, that's the thing. He didn't get a great showing, but he yeah. isn't maybe brilliant anyway. <laughs> He's not a good actor. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, Henry Cavill is not a good actor. What if they did like, I, now I haven't read it, but I've heard The Death of Superman is meant to be a superb series. What if that was kind of his swan song? That could work. And then mm. they have the next 
next Superman. Now, the thing about this is that we're not going to see this for a few years anyway, because not only is Warner Brothers slate totally full and they're doing, you know, obviously the new young Batman as well and yeah. Robert Pattinson, but Michael B. Jordan literally has just films and films to do for the next two years. So we're not oh, going to see this. Up, like. Yeah, he's literally just booked up. So apparently the earliest we're going to see this is like 2023. So don't be like, okay. you know, mm. looking out for it on the screens anytime soon. It's a funny one when you think about it where like um, due to this gap in the MCU, Marvel's throne is mm. a little bit up for grabs or at least you could see by 2025 mm. maybe they're on equal footing. Or... Well, what they're saying is that DC can totally exploit the whole um, or rating thing because yeah. even though, um, you know, 20th Century Fox would have done so well off the back of Deadpool and Logan, it's really hard to know our you know, are DC and Marvel just going to do the whole 12s rated family friendly thing? Yeah. And are they going to do that with Deadpool? Because I mean, even Once Upon a Deadpool was experimenting with that and it did work. Yeah. Um, it was obviously a big shame to not see an or rated Deadpool and all the like, this sounds bad, but all the blood and the cursing hey. and the fun of that was gone. Because um, I actually saw Once Upon a Deadpool, but I could see how they made it to kind of say to Disney, we can do this if you like. Yeah. yeah. You know what but I mean? But even like off the back, like there's been no rumblings from Disney about chasing up any of that. Like, is the X-Men going to be a lot more G-rated and stuff? Who knows? Like, I mean, it's all so kind of like, it is really buried under yeah. a lot of secrecy. At the you think when they buy Fox, they don't rest that stuff for six years. They just go, okay, keep going with Deadpool 3. I would say myself, I mean, I know that they're probably, like, I know Ryan Reynolds went in for a meeting with Disney already mm. and they basically, whatever the discussion was, no one really knows. Sure. Um, I think the likelihood is, is that they're probably need to kind of get to they probably need to sit down and be like right okay this is where everything's gonna go x-men is gonna come into the marvel cinematic universe deadpool is gonna yeah. be out on its own uh we're gonna sure do... they're paying someone to have that blueprint drawn up oh yeah definitely <laughs> yeah definitely definitely i mean remember with x-men that and i mean this has been delayed for at least two years now they've new still mutants. got the new mutants to come out um which is apparently definitely coming out 2020 but we'll see. Does that mean it's atrocious or it's just been sad? It's up? not a good sign. I I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Part of me is kind of like, I just think it has fallen through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, know the if it's thing is, like, uh, like, have you seen, there has been a trailer. Yeah. And it yeah. looks okay. That's what I'm saying. That's I saw the what's trailer. Weird about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw the trailer. I was like, that's actually not that bad. That's actually okay that's kind of cool like mm. as in like it's kind of like the breakfast club kind of like a horror film what if mutants were teenagers and it's all angsty i'm like shit i'd watch course, that yeah. mm -hmm. that could totally work um but i think myself with all the tunes and thrones between disney buying up fox i think it just got lost in the crack yeah um yeah. but like you know disney plowing that furrow or sorry dc rather plowing that furrow of just harder edge mm. all right stuff I think that's I, that's it that's absolutely the way they should go that with it that should be their USP like, completely yeah, the yeah. Stuff. yeah 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 because like the only reason Disney why, why they do all that 12A stuff why they keep it so family friendly mm. is because Disney it's a brand like it's a brand yeah, yeah. but like you know, the merchandising, the licensing, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. That's where the real money is. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. And Warners are just like, look, we are a film studio. We make films. That's it. Yeah. Anything that comes off the back of that, 
fine, but we are a film studio first mm. and foremost. So that kind of vertical vertical marketing or whatever they call it, vertically integrated stuff. I did not realize the scale to which, like, um, I've been watching that Netflix show. What is it like? Explained. The toys that made us. Oh no. yeah. Oh. So it's like talking about the release of the Star Wars films and then how yeah. much the like. Obviously, the merch made more than the movies ever did. Like, like far beyond. Fold or something like. Far beyond. Like that's the thing that people don't actually realize. Realistically, the M- the MCU was basically one big giant ad for t for 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 toys. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. It was just that. Like even that whole thing about Rebecca Hall when she was in Iron Man three. And like she was basically told the reason why her character was completely cut down was because they basically felt like they couldn't make any toys out of her character. Oh, it was as simple as that. Like she was originally supposed to be the main villain in it, and then mm. they just cut her out because they couldn't make toys out of Rebecca Hall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I think she'd make a pretty toy. I think she would, too. I think I mean, I would play with her. Don't Rebecca say Hall. the no, next I, <laughs> I, I said it and I was like, I was ah. setting you up for it, really. Oh, crap. <laughs> for those wondering, the soul patch is gone. The mustache is doing better than Yeah, that. I mean, I just kind of got rid of it. But like, I mean, it's what, what? Today's the 27th, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I still have like, I have like four more days with this. You know what's Are so... you going to bail on the Movember? So I you're keeping know, the yeah. Movember timing. I'll keep it up to the 31st of November and then I'll decide whether it survives past you know, it. You know, it's so annoying. Ivan is doing it this year. Is he and, doing it? How does he look? I, and we're going to Rome this weekend. Uh, and he's going to have it for all the Rome pictures. And I'm just like, ugh. He is going to look great. I bet he looks fat. Will you take a picture and bring it in tomorrow? It's He's got the one that goes like around. It's like the Fantastic. handlebar. Like the collector in Toy Story 2. Yeah, I don't have to bring it in. You'll see it on like, on like, I Social. love it. <laughs> Is that the, that's the David Brent? Yeah, actually, it's more David Brent. I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. I'll always wait for a mustache. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, I feel like I'm going a bit more kind of Sam Elliott. That's what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get it. Because the soul patch was too much. You like, couldn't be as cool as you Sam know Elliott next... if you tried, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I couldn't at all. Not even close. You'd I also have, you have to be greyer. Going. To the uh, the handlebars, the walrus curtains. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, full Wilford so Brimley yeah, yeah. on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. yeah, I don't know who that is. Uh, you know the guy. The he was in Dick Strawbridge. That's who I know. Who's Dick Strawbridge? He's an archaeologist with a big mustache. <laughs> 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 All right, it's time for movie reviews. <laughs> movie reviews. Dick Strawbridge is that a real name? Yeah. Uh... What yeah. was he in? Like, was he on like one of these like BBC? I think he used to be on Time Team, and then he uh, he did up a chateau, in you know that show doing up a chateau or whatever. Is Time Team was that the one with your man from Blackadder? That's exactly what's his name. Tim uh, Robinson. Robinson. Something Robinson. Yeah, it was. He was Baldrick in Blackadder. And his name is Tim Robinson. Yes, I think that was it. I used to watch Time Team every week. I remember Time Team and I remember loving it. Have I told you it's on air before that my both my parents are archaeologists? Are you really? That's so random. I did not know that. I'm delve into the deep history of... I will talk to you about that that's, afterwards. That's why you're so good at excavating the best news and reviews from us. And that's how you keep the show on track, D. We've got the two folks. <laughs> good show, dear Drew. If anyone has any archaeology-based questions, they can send them in. But we're trying to keep the show under an hour. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Got a lot to keep, get through. Keep that shit on the road, dear Drew. Fantastic. Write down Irish uh, history anecdotes and we can... That's really good. I do want to talk to you about that after this, though. I feel really yeah. uh, proud of that. I love... That was Thanks. the perfect mix between a segue 
and a slap in the face. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, so The Two Popes. Uh, this hits cinemas this weekend. Um, it's also coming out on Netflix in December. So again, you're going to have that whole debate of yeah. should you go see it in the cinema or not? Now, I went to see this in a cinema. Um, it was an evening screening actually with a full audience. And I do think that it should be watched with a full audience. And why? I'll tell you why. Because it's, okay, I was not expecting it, but this film is essentially a buddy comedy. No <laughs> Which I was like, what? Give the synopsis for those who don't know. So, I mean, people probably know this. It's based on uh, true events whereby Pope Benedict the Sixteenth met with Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio, played respectively by Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. And they have these conversations and it ends up being like one of the kind of, you know, most significant exchanges of power whereby Bergoglio ended up becoming the next Pope just a few like Current years Pope later. Francis, yeah. Exactly. Current Pope Francis. Um, so it's got some really great credits to it. Like I said, you have Jonathan Price, who most people will probably remember for his performance as the High Sparrow in um, Game of Thrones but he was also um, whatchamacallum in Parts of the Caribbean governor thing Keira Knightley's dad basically yeah, yeah. was he a was he a uh, baddie in Bond yeah he, yes. was, a, he was a baddie he was in Tomorrow Never Dies yes. yeah. yeah so he's got like some really interesting credits can I also just pause you there to yes. say when he was in Game of Thrones I can't I, it must have been an internet thing it can't just have been me but I was mm. like oh my god that lad's the spit of Pope Francis yeah like he there is uncanny like like Looked exactly like, like him. Yeah, yeah. He was exactly. made for the role. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. mad. Uh, but between them and then it's directed by Fernando. And sorry, I'm terrible with names. Merrillis, uh, who directed City of God and The Constant Gardener, and it's written by Anthony McCartan, who's gotten a few like Oscar nods in the past. He wrote the script for The Theory of Everything and Darkest Hour. So you've got this really great team around it. And City of God and The Constant Gardener. Yeah, it's pretty fucking. That's yeah, pretty, that's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, not familiar with them. But then like story wise, you're like. This is about two like yeah. priests meeting and having yeah. the chats. Like, how and is this going to work? The thing I'm suspicious of before it even went into it was mm. I, my first inclination was that it was going to be like that FIFA movie that FIFA made to yes. show how good FIFA is or whatever. It's like, is this Vatican approved? Like, what was commentary? that called? Uh, Which is so funny because they're corruption. actually they're actually watching football at the end of the movie. They bond over football. Look, they're just oh, normal hilarious. dudes. It was yeah. uh, shared passions or something like that. Or I remember that. I am a young Sepp Blatter. Yeah, and like, what's his face? Fucking Tim Roth was in it, and that film only made like two hundred euro at the box office. <laughs> yeah, it was only shown in one <laughs> cinema for like two days, and then it was removed. And it was like. It's, it's no one no one's no one's seen it no way it's like it was out there but like no one's actually seen no it no way yeah. actually give a plug for your Blackbird thing again because there's no oh, the people thing. are reading it oh yeah yeah it was actually I, it's this is months ago now this, this is really interesting six months ago yeah so basically I spent all of last year trying to find uh, literally all of last year yeah you you would not stop talking about it yeah trying to get uh, to a screening of Blackbird Michael Flatley's uh, directorial debut Um Literally spent 10 months calling people, trying to track down a copy of it, trying to talk to somebody. Because it was shown at like some film festivals and stuff like this, you yeah. know? Yeah. This yeah, is what it it's was, all about. This is investigative it was, movie it, journalism. It was basically, yeah, it was as close as I could get to an investigative piece. And I that, fuck- between that and it was the origin of uh, what day? Some chocolate day. That was like your last kind oh, of Oh, Snickers. Yeah, yeah Snickers. When was the actual, when did actually, you know that, that when joke? When did D-Day for Marathon? 
Yeah, when Snickers. did it actually turn? When did it actually become Snickers and Marathon? That was the last thing I remember him getting wow, this kind of inge- investigative journalist about. about. You're yeah, doing the yeah. Lord's work, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm asking the like... big questions. It's the big questions. You know what I mean? Like when Paul Rudd and the whole can he shrink down and then blow up to the size you of Thanos broke that and kill him. Story. I broke that damn story, okay? Entertainment.ie. That's what we do. We ask the questions that people want answers to, okay? Journalism. Anyways, Segway back deep. to this. <laughs> I had to go off on a tangent. Anyway, well, see, the reason why it's a buddy comedy is you've essentially got this odd couple in Price and Hopkins. Hopkins is like, you know, as uh, Pope Benedict, he's real like, you know, conservative and everything. He wants to keep the church exactly the way it is, whereas um, Bergoglio is like the real kind of uh, liberal. And he's talking about all the changes that need to happen in the church and... um, He's essentially saying, if we don't reform, the church is going to die alongside old men like you and me, which Mm. is kind of the final point, I suppose, that's made. And they do have these conversations about faith, you know, stuff like celibacy, homosexuality, narcissism, like abuse in the church. But then they're also talking about like kind of progressive washed or. No, I don't think so. I think that it kind of presents both sides kind of really fairly and that Benedict feels really like passionate about what he's saying. And so does Bergoglio. conservative Mm, pope. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like, obviously it is kind of leaning towards Bergoglio's perspective and everything. He just seems that bit more kind of reasonable and everything. But I mean, it is interesting to hear, you know, both sides of the argument and it does try to do it in kind of a really fair way. But what's nice is what the film kind of ends up progressing into is they talk about more things like you if you've seen the trailer they start talking about the Beatles and music and you've got Benedict kind of playing some cabaret music on the piano and they talk about aging and doubt and what it means to be human and it actually ends up kind of being really like profound and humanist and really like nice and just quite like funny you know the way that they just can't find common ground and like Price's character is just so gas he kind of has this like cheeky sense of humor and he's just like yeah Yeah, he's mischievous exactly and he'll like at one point you see him kind of humming uh, Dancing Queen by Ab in the background and you find out that he learns tango and they do like this little dance at the end I know you're rolling your eyes at this (laughs) but look obviously Let's be honest here. This probably isn't exactly an accurate portrayal of events, but it is trying to kind of, you know, present an entertaining, but like also earnest film about yeah. like what could have happened. In I actually like don't a know why I'm giving it way. such a hard time. I just have a sinking feeling are. religion teachers are going to yeah. be putting this on for years. No, yeah. I don't. I've been subjected to enough of those bad films, but maybe this like, but I mean, me even, even if it is, I think that it has a lot of humor and a lot of personality to it and it's really kind of heartwarming I do think probably its biggest misstep is when um, kind of in the between the second and third act they go into Bergoglio's past and this is all done kind of via a black and white like flashback segment uh, sequence and even though I get like the whole point is that it's meant to tie into like themes of self-doubt and forgiveness which is tied into like I said those conversations they've been having not just about the church but about kind of life itself I just felt like I don't know it was it was really struggling to be both an entertaining feature and an earnest, sincere feature about religion, if okay, you get what I mean. Yes, and yeah. I think that that's it was in that um, part of the film where that was most obvious that it was struggling to be both those things. But I still say that it is like quite entertaining. I think that people are going to find it really accessible and enjoyable, which, again, for a film of this subject matter, I was just shocked by that yeah so I think that overall it's 
it's really quite enjoyable. Like I said, because it goes down the buddy comedy route. Yeah. You know? No Which, way. I actually yeah. might Netflix it. Yeah. Mm. See, I think it is worth Netflixing. And like I said, I went to it with an audience, which I think when you're surrounded by people, again, we've talked yeah, about this, this before with comedy. The laughter is contagious, you know? And I mean, even with um, that act where, like I said, it went into kind of uh, the flashback and like showing his life and kind of the mistakes he'd made or whatever, you could see kind of the audience like, I don't know, losing a bit of touch or something. Okay, right. Now, it does get back into that kind of buddy comedy at the end and they show like a bit of like real life footage of the two guys and it is like very sweet and it does end ultimately on this message of hope and that we have a lot to like look forward to which I thought was like really From nice the as well. Church. Yeah, well, well, we've made a few changes. Well, <laughs> buddy Jesus. I've got to hang yeah. on to the cynicism actually. I'm not going to let Yeah, you guys are being too cynical. I'm it was it was Catholic actually church. look, it was a really it was a really lovely film and look, it does like um yeah, I mean there are plenty of movies out there that kind of, you know, acknowledge and explore all the like, you know, the devastating and horrible things that have happened. But this film was just trying to, like I said, just humanize be kind it. of, yeah, yeah humanize, humanize it, it and be kind of like earnest and more hopeful and a little more positive. It is kind of on the, like I said, positive, hopeful side. Yeah. But mm. I thought that that was Hopkins. kind of a relief, you know, he's good. Like he, like it's Anthony Hopkins. He absolutely commands the screen when he needs to. But for me, it's Jonathan Price. Really? He is just fantastic. In it. And it's a real shame too, because I almost w- wish that Anthony Hopkins had top billing and Jonathan Price had second because I think he'd have a genuinely really good shot at getting the best supporting actor Oscar. Oh, I don't think he'd get best, best lead. Because I just think that there's too much competition there this year. But I think it's the best performance I've ever seen in his career, honestly. Oh, no. He's really, really good in it. They're actually both a pleasure to watch. They they? are. Yeah, they They really are. They both are, are, yeah. There's something weird about Hopkins, though. Like, I like, I loved him in Westworld and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And he has this huge kind of thespian energy. Mm. Yeah. But also simultaneously has a bit of that energy of an old man who got lost in a shopping center. Yeah, but he knows that about himself too and he utilizes that. Like there's this, like in the film he has a Fitbit and it goes off when they're sitting down for too long and he has to go for a walkabout. Stop rolling your eyes, Owen. (laughs) Literally every like nice quirky thing I mentioned in this that I like he can't tell to be cynical about. I can't, yeah. Well, maybe Feel it's good maybe it's about the Catholic Church. Maybe it's the wrong film for you, but I actually thought it was quite sweet. Yeah, no, and I'm sure lots of people know? will get something out of it. I yeah. would imagine, though, I see this, and this kind of goes to the kind of I think just watching the two of you, because I would imagine your own attitude towards the Catholic Church and organized mm. religion in general would inform how you approach this. Yeah, yeah. but at the same time. If you have a cynical take, you probably even wouldn't you see wouldn't it even in the bother. first place. Yeah, true, you know what true, I mean? true, yeah. So I suppose that's what I say. If you're going to just be cynical. Yeah. Maybe stay away. Like. Yeah, because like it probably won't change your mind. I just thought like even as a film, it was just really enjoyable. That's what matters. Yeah, suppose, and feel yeah. good. I like my feel good movies. I don't yeah. like movies that give me an existential crisis or ones that scare me. That's why I don't like yeah. horrors, you know? Up next, what the Nazis did, right? <laughs> That was really well done. <laughs> Very well done. That's horrifying. Great infrastructure. Good roads. Uh, okay. <laughs> Trains are out on time. You know what I mean? Fantastic. <laughs> Get that efficiency. Wait, is that genuinely what Knives Out is about? That's what I thought. What? No. I Jesus. don't know what it's about. <laughs> oh, God. I just know it's a whodunit. 
Yeah, no, it has nothing to do I with I don't know, I've heard it's quirky, sometimes Nazis. Whenever in doubt, if there's a whodunit and it's Nazis, they did it, okay? Those terrible, terrible people, they just all did it. With their with their with their goose stepping and their hating people. Speaking of which, what's mm. the status of Indiana Jones? Should have squeezed that into movie news. <sighs> I don't know. I just don't know. Is this following again. on from? Has there been developments since? Remember, we were talking about last week how last week. there is a movie in the slate. Yeah, I don't. Why? Why? <laughs> why? Like why? No, I don't. Why? I don't think it's needed. It's not. Honestly, I'm not even that big a fan of them. Oh, okay. Well, you know what, Deirdre, I can accept that. I do accept that because, and I've I mean, only th- seen the first. I find it a bit boring. Have you ever seen um, not Temple of Doom, Last Crusade? Uh, Last honestly, Crusade? the first one was so boring that I was like, nah. The others, yeah, I will. <laughs> okay then, Last Crusade is a really, really good movie. I the think that it hasn't aged very well because, like, watching it now compared to the action adventure type films we're used to, it's very slow moving. D, you're stepping on my heart. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you that right now. You're stepping on my heart. Maybe if I'd watched it, like, you know, when I was really young, big big movie before, big, big movie. yeah, as a big big movie, it was a big, big before movie. I was, was exposed to movie. you know better movies then. Oh. <sighs> Okay, that was a real stomp on the heart moment. <laughs> oh, Again, I'm sorry. Okay, you so could say I show. knived your heart. Yes, knives yes. Out. Take the knives out of my heart, Ooh, Deirdre. That's even better. Yes, that was even better. There we go. Archaeology, <laughs> Indiana Jones debate. <laughs> I want to. I'm going to talk. I'm really going to talk to you about that because that's so interesting. I did not know that. I'm totally going to talk to you about that after this. Let's get into knives out, though. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about Indiana Jones. Well, yeah. that too. Um, but let's get into Knives Out. I fucking loved this. This was great. This was so funny and smart and kind of uh, referenced the whodunit genre and mm. played with it, but then also very much stuck to it. It looks very Cluedo. It's it's Clue. Yeah. It's basically Clue. It's Clue the movie. It's fantastic. Um, Christopher Plummer plays this uh, author called Harlan Thromby. And it's so he's so much. good. That, like he's the so trailer good. opens with an oil painting of Christopher Plummer up on a wall, and it's like, how many more times am I gonna see that man in a three-piece suit? <laughs> and Do like you know with his mean? beard and he, looking quite as regal. an aging tycoon. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, it's just like you like he is like the Jeff Goldblum of all guys. Every time you hire him, <laughs> you know exactly what you're getting. You're getting a reliable old guy. With a beard who can has his whose com- sons have let him down, whose sons <laughs> have let him down, who has this commanding voice, and you just like it's a safe pair of hands. You just know what he's gonna do with it, and there he is. That reminds me, I really want to rewatch the man who invented Christmas now this year. Yes. having seen um, what call it in the gate. It's oh very good. yeah, the Christmas Carol thing. Christmas is it good? Carol. It's very good. Is it very good? I really That's Jack Thorne. It. That's the guy who wrote um, the Cursed Child. And he's... but for anyone oh, listening, yeah. I think they've sold out. I heard that. I went to get tickets. It's sold out. There you go. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's, it's great. Sold show. out through Christmas. In Jesus. The gate, the gate is. Lovely, I think you though. can see it in the New Year. I think they're that's exactly then. It. you can go yeah, see it yeah. in like like after Christmas or something yeah. Like that. yeah I tell you that, your last great, Christmas though. thing to do yeah but that is great though I love hearing yeah. that when like theaters are sold out because yeah. the gate's a great spot we should do a little theater segment actually every every now and then Maybe. every day every now and then 
But uh, yeah, so Knives Out. So yeah, uh, Christopher Plummer. Give us a synopsis as well. Yeah, so Christopher Plummer, he plays this uh, mystery writer called Harlan Thromby. It's his 85th birthday. And his family are in his like big old dusty house uh, for his birthday party. Um, Each of them has, he basically he's found dead. His throat is slit. Oh my. And automatically it's basically right. Who did this? Um, Is it like quite graphic? It's just, I mean, you just see him like kind of with the throat slit and the knife in his hand kind of thing. And it's like, mm. oh, this was a suicide. But it's like, no, it wasn't a suicide. <gasps> How could it have been a suicide? Who would slit their own throat? You know, that kind of way. Give me yeah. a, the, the, this is a star studded cast. Right. This is class. I know we've been memorizing this. So you have Christopher Plummer as the author. You have Daniel Craig as the private investigator, Ooh. Benoit Blanc. You Ooh. have Lakeith Stanfield, who people will know from Get Out. Get Out yeah, he's Sorry the, to bother you. Sorry to bother you as well, yeah. Oh, he plays the local uh, police investigator. Then you have Jamie Lee Curtis, who is Christopher Plummer's daughter. She's this like business tycoon who runs this property empire. Brilliant with her, her husband, Don Johnson, who's this kind of like oh, yes. oily, <laughs> kind of like not like kind of Republican kind of guy. Their son is Chris Evans, who's this trust fund bastard. Sick. Right? Good then, for him. Good for him. And he's brilliant and he's such a I he's love such a Chris bastard. Evans. And Chris Evans playing a bastard. He is so good at it. Classic. Like just incredible. Then you've got Anna de Armas, who people will know from Blade Runner 2049. She was Joy. I love her. She's a really good, yeah, yeah. she's great in this. She plays uh, Christopher Plummer's uh, nurse. Ooh. Then you have Michael Shannon, who plays uh, Christopher Plummer's uh, son, who runs the publishing empire. That's that the jewel in the crown. That's amazing. He is, I fucking love that guy. He is fantastic. Then you've got Tony Collette, who plays the uh, wow. daughter-in-law of uh, Christopher Plummer and she's basically this Gwyneth Paltrow mm. goop Instagram influencer she oh, might go to Michael Shannon then what? daughter-in-law so she might no 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 her husband has died but she's oh, still okay. kind of hanging around the family and she's I basically yeah. kind of like still bleeding them for money basically now this is really impressive and it's already starting to sound like it might be getting a little bit bogged down you would think that right yeah. see that's it you would have with a, a feckin' ensemble cast like that You've got to imagine, Jesus, how the fuck is everyone going to get equal screen time? How yeah. are they going to do this? But what the film does so well, and this, I, I swear to God, this is what makes this film one of the best I've seen this year. No way. Um, it's the fact that like it is perfectly balanced. Mm. And now when I say balanced, you automatically think, oh, everyone gets equal screen time. Not the case at all. Everyone is used so strategically that you're all like... It, it, it's done in such a way and I don't really want to ruin a lot of it because you, mm. the, the colder you go into it kind into of this, feels like yeah you need to really let it unfold yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I this is it I would recommend I don't even want to talk about it here because I want both of you to go see it yeah mm-hmm. because I really would recommend it that strongly um, but how it kind of plays with like you know your expectations red herrings well, it's all like kind of like do you think it's actually going to go like this maybe it isn't maybe it is who knows Ooh. like it sets it up in, by the second act They've basically determined what actually happened with the mur- with the with the, the death of oh, Harlan so the whole third act is so. Then the third act is basically like, okay, but why did he die? Why did it happen like this? Yeah. Why was such and such a person involved? All that kind of shit. And then, I mean, what the great thing about it is is that with these kind of uh, murder mysteries, everything has to be wrapped up in the end. It has to be a completely clean slate. Sure, and not only that as well, the clean slate has to 
you know, it can't be just like, oh, we've kept this bit of information hidden from you the entire time. No, it was there looking at you in the face all yeah. along. Oh, I love those kind of movies. Exactly. That's exactly. Good. Exactly. That's it. The idea. Yeah, exactly. The, the principle of Chekhov's gun that everything that you see mm. has oh, a now purpose. Now we're going to be looking at absolutely everything. In and the that's it. Like, and see, that's it. Like, that's Do it. not read the Wikipedia summary of this. Oh, yeah. Oh, Don't. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. like, yeah. I mean, like, this is it. Like, I mean, what I loved about this film was, was that I like I went to see it with uh, my my girlfriend, and she is an absolute nut when it comes to Agatha Christie. She eats this shit up like no it's way. nothing, and automatically, like she's one of these people that she would literally whip out a book and start writing down like clues as she'd gone along. Like, and I'm the same as well. Like, I can I like I'd be like, okay, that's that. that <laughs> Have that, you ever that. read back through those kind of no? No, I mean, I, question mark. I never do. Like, I mean, like I, I whenever I read a mystery novel, I'm like, okay, that's all wrapped up and they throw it away. Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily need to kind of do it. But anyways, um, every part of this film slots so fucking slickly and just smoothly <laughs> into everything else that by the time you get to the end, you're like, that was fantastic. That was so well done, no so way. crafted beautifully, so smart, so kind of devious. There are kind of things in it where they kind of try to kind of play into, you know, kind of moral messages like, you know, they're a rich family and just how money just automatically turns people into shitty people. And that like, you know, the kind of the polarization of America currently and all that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. There is there, I mean, it's kind of floating in the background. It's never kind of in your face necessarily, yeah. but it's smart enough that like it's coloring kind of, it's coloring it rather than yes. it mm-hmm. being all of it. Um, I absolutely loved it. As soon as I stopped watching, I was like, I would fucking watch that again. I would literally go back to the start and push play again. Oh, brilliant. I so rare. I don't want to ruin it. I want to say it's great. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely, definitely give it a go. And obviously this is Ryan Johnson's yeah. escape from Star Wars. And I see totally why he made this after Last Jedi because mm-hmm. Last Jedi was so structured. It was so kind of had to adhere to certain things. It had to be about this. He had to use everything. This blank canvas, he can make whatever he wants. And what he comes back with is this really smart, really funny. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, but not poking fun at the genre. It's just, it's so, oh God, I loved it. I fucking loved it. Self-aware or something? Self-aware to a degree, but not in the sense of like, I'm making the joke before you can make the joke. It's yeah. kind of like, it's aware of people know murder mysteries. And so it's like, it's going to play with your conventions the entire time. You know, that kind of way. It's going to yeah. be like, you think it's this? It's actually not that. It's over here. Um, loved it. Loved it. How's it compared to Murder on the Orient Express? Way fucking better. <laughs> Way better. Like, I mean, the one that, like, Kenneth Branagh, I got what he was going for. He was just trying to make a really glossy yeah. version of it. Not the one that we all saw in the 70s with Albert Finney. Um, that's still the better one in my mind. Like, um, But yeah, no, it's it's. I loved it. It was brilliant. It was so good. I so, can't so wait. That's yes. a guaranteed cinema trip for me. Absolutely. I really like, I want, I, you, I think would appreciate it. I think you'd appreciate it as well. Yeah, dude. I think so too. But I know you do like the kind of the murder mystery stuff. Ah, so you will definitely enjoy well, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write that down for next week's episode as well. Nail my Poirot. Yeah, get that. Like, cause ah. you've got the Werner Herzog one pretty locked in. So we had actually a couple of people inquiring about cheap skink. Which was really? Oh, there you yeah. go. Cheap skink, yeah. So cheap skink. Start carrying over. <sighs> we need to kind of get the show. ad copy going, like exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then we could just be like cheap skink for all your cheap skink needs. 
Go now to cheapskink.com forward slash film show for a 10% off on Cheapskink. Cheapskink. Before we move into our final Charlie's Angels interview, <laughs> Brian, you have something coming up very soon in the IFI. Well, this is tonight. I thought it was tomorrow night. No, it's tonight. Will people, eagle-eyed listeners, be able to make it down to the IFI? I don't know, but it's hilarious that my girlfriend's not coming today because she thought it was last night. Oh no She was really upset She was like I've got a fucking board meeting tonight I can't go And I was like like, It's great It's okay And she was like No 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 I'm gonna get somebody to cover I was like No you don't have to It's okay I don't mind No yeah Brian as someone Who is meant to be going to Frozen 2 last night And knowing that my partner is uh, A regular listener of the podcast Uh huh You'd be heartbroken if we went to Frozen 2 instead of going to Blow Out, wouldn't you? I, do you know what? It's on tonight. Uh, it's on at 20 past six. If this podcast gets up by then, that'll be a fucking miracle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and give people time to commute to the Irish Film give Institute. To, yeah, to the Irish Film Institute, yeah. So the tickets are still on sale. There are some t- tickets still left in the door, I've been told. Um <laughs> Uh, very few no yeah no th- I think I think it sold pretty well from what they were Class. telling me like I asked them I was like did it sell well they're like oh yeah, yeah. so you know um, but yeah it's 20 past uh, 6 tonight that's Wednesday November 27th in the IFI it's blowout I'm giving a talk beforehand what's Come your with- opening statement give us half a sentence uh, I don't really have anything prepared I'm just gonna wing it <laughs> No, blow, yeah. I, blow out burst onto the scene. Brian winging it? That doesn't sound like him. <laughs> Listen, if I prepare and I fail, then I'm just a schmuck. Whereas Are you if taking I... questions? No, God, no. Jesus, no. God, no. I wouldn't take questions. Ah, oh, no. That's I'm going to put my hand up. A... I hate that attitude. I absolutely hate it. What? Well, you were about to say the whole, if I prepare and fail, then I've really failed. But if I don't prepare, then I haven't really failed, have I? <laughs> Was that a me voice, was it? That's my general guy impression voice. <laughs> no, it was a great Brian. I'm very, well, okay, it's not that I've failed, it's that if I wing it and make it, then I'm a fucking genius. That's what it is. That's why I'm doing that. No, I, I've got notes, I've got I've got the general gist of what I want to talk about. That I just, slagging is what is so good about the film show. It's like watching an odd couple of, like, very prepared... And loud. Not at all. <laughs> and yeah. loud. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being diplomatic. No, I've got no. I mean, I know what I want to talk about. The, the problem, the reason why I don't bring notes in with me to these kind of things, dear. It's because you steal mine. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. You have done that. Fuck you. I've never done that. You did it did, just a few weeks ago. I did it on the, the last radio. one. No, no. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> hang on a sec. Now. And you know what? It was thanks to us recording this podcast. Because yeah, he heard my true. notes before. Oh, he, he memorized them. opinions. I, I was okay. listening. I was like, that's the thing that I say. IFI blowout is cancelled. <laughs> okay. Hang on a sec. I need Hang to... on, we genuinely do only have eight minutes left. Yeah, no, no need to rebut. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. No I won that argument. Damn it. So... <laughs> Damn it. I'll put it on the long list. Yeah, this <laughs> is. Yeah, when we do our end of year special, we're going to have this same folly. Brian defends <laughs> self. <laughs> Wait, no, not self. What would it be? Uh, integrity? Uh, just, integrity. My journalistic integrity. <laughs> Fuck you, D. This isn't, this isn't the end of this. I actually don't think we'll get to it next Telling week. your colleague repeatedly to, like, Herself also isn't very integrous. What's the word? Uh, integrous. 
Oh, it is. Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not at all. Okay, Charlie's Angels. Go. What's the what's it's a the good rub? Podcast. It's a great podcast. Speaking of films with no integrity. Oh. oh. So Brian might enjoy it. Oh! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you started me off now. Oh, I can't stop. Uh, yes, I love it. <laughs> you can read the full review on site. I've given it one of my lowest. That um, is, I for this year. Yeah, not ever. You know, I think the Emoji Movie is still the lowest um, rating I've ever given to a film, which is one star. Is this better than that? Yeah. Oh no! Also, Bad Moms and Bad Moms Christmas. I also gave yeah. one star, but I gave this film one and a half stars, and it wasn't so much that. It was terrible, but that I couldn't say anything good about it, which I realize is kind of the same thing. Yeah. That yeah. it's terrible. Like, um, as someone who's just gone off the trailer, <laughs> they, we are not the market for this. I don't know who is. Yeah. It's an action comedy with which isn't funny, and the action is really subpar. Like, quality-wise, the choreography is very kind of dull, and you've seen it a hundred times before. It's... Edited, 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 like cut, 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 you know, when they have nothing better to do and they're trying to like force action where there is none. Vibe, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, the stunts are uh, and the stand ins are very obvious. Oh, God. When they appear, um, like it's just kind of painful. Um, none of the performances, you can't really say anything particularly great about them. Like Kristen Stewart, she's probably the best one in this, but she's basically just doing a Kate McKinnon impression. I'm kind so, of, I have okay. to ask, right, this is very strange. I basically thought that uh, Kristen Stewart had kind of gone the road of Robert Pattinson insofar mm. as doing really interesting work, uh, but not the kind Going of... off the radar and... Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Personal Shopper, for example. Like, that's a great film. Like, mm. and she's really, really good. She's in great it, in Still Alice as well correct. as Julianne Moore's daughter. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Like really, really interesting work. So why the fuck is she doing something? Like, is it the money? Does she just need the money? I don't know, because I think that like genuinely, uh, the thing is like you can tell the intentions behind this are like really good. So it's directed by Elizabeth Banks, who also stars in it. So, and she would have previously directed Pitch Perfect 2 and 3, I believe. You yeah. are joking. Um, so, yeah, yeah, Elizabeth Banks made Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah, she's yeah, directing yeah. now. Yeah. I thought this was her debut. No, no, no she's done that, a few I was kind of rooting for it. She I'm also directed a segment in Movie 43, but we won't talk about that because oh that's God. a terrible movie. But, it's on um, your list, is it? Is it? It's on my, one of my worst movies. On my, I'll have by the end, by the time this podcast goes out, I should have my worst movies of the 2010s up. Brian's best movies of the 2010s are up currently. It's all on site, all on entertainment.ie. Movies um, that are fine. But anyway, like I can see Elizabeth Banks like intentions behind them. Like she really wants to infuse this with girl power, Aye. which in and of itself was probably a bad idea because that concept in and out of it in and of itself has kind of become outdated you it know is, like 90s and Spice is. Girls yeah. and everything like, like even now like when the Spice Girls were making their comeback they weren't quite doing the same girl power as before it was kind of like a more updated version of it a yeah. more I, I don't want to say like maternal version of it but a more mature version of it sure, certainly yeah. so you've got bits in this whereby like at the end of the film you see like all oh, the Charlie's Angels start like standing together and there's this whole uh, montage at the start of the film of like 
young girls and women from all over the world, like, you being know, inspired. yeah, being inspired and going surfing and, you know, uh, developing technology and doing all of these cool, like girl power things. And it was just kind of like, OK, yeah, I see. I, I like see what you're getting. It felt like that. It yeah. felt like that. And I mean, there's even this um, bit in it where the women have to buy the favor of this contact in Istanbul. Right. Um, and they do it by donating all of these women hygiene products and like the pill to her so that she can distribute it out, you know, among the okay. women in the community. Right. If you get what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, yeah, because she's like kind of working there freelance or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's like, OK, yeah, this is nice. Like, I, I get what you're trying to do here. And it's nice. But the movie you constructed around these ideas isn't very good. Sounds like a bit of white so, savior as well. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I just kept feeling like this feels more like, and and I wrote this very thing in my review because it's true, this movie feels more like Sex and the City 2 than something like Ooh. Mission Impossible, which isn't good. It's basically, yeah, just with all that hollowness and that yeah. flash and the fashion, there's even like a little dance sequence in yeah. it because of course. And it was just... I thought they might have taken it like a 21 Jump Street kind of angle. Yeah. I was hoping for that, but it's just kind of a load of nothing. Like you can see they're very much depending on Christian Stewart to kind of be like the quirky, like not quite antisocial, but like she says and does funny things. Kate McKinnon is a good catch for that. Exactly. Mm. She's essentially like Kate McKinnon. But even that was like just falling a bit flat for me. Like she's doing her very best, but it just never really worked. And then Naomi Scott is like the kind of like geeky girl who like does all the technology things basically like Rihanna in Ocean's 8 but yeah. not but not as cool she's like geeky and then she finally like you know stands up for herself and all the women are like we know we've included you in our team all along and she's like oh and so embarrassed and it just feels oh, it just feels oh. also awkward and then you've got um Ella Belinska, who's probably the one who people know the least of. I wouldn't be familiar with her credits or anything, but she plays the third Charlie's Angel and she's been training under I, Digimon Hunson. Diamond Hunt? Honto. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, so she's like the kind of proper like action warrior yeah, and she yeah. kicks the shit out of guys and okay. knows how to use a gun and stuff like that. So that's kind of her role. And it's just all, okay, I get it types and everything there's nothing really interesting or different going on wow. here so Pants yeah it just it just felt like it was kind of going through the motions like i said i i feel bad for it because i do i i see what elizabeth banks was trying to do and i mean there's this whole like ironic bit in it where she's talking about some movie and all the young people around her like they don't get the movie reference and I'm oh. like yeah that's kind of an extension of you know maybe you shouldn't have taken on this franchise Elizabeth oh. Banks I'm sorry mm. but it's true like she obviously see I think that what she did right with the Pitch Perfect movies was that Pitch Perfect was kind of feeling the ground a bit yeah. so then by two and three like she was like okay I get this mm. yeah. you know whereas Charlie's Angels she it kind of felt like she'd watch every like Charlie's Angels and action kind of movie and spy comedy kind of movie around it and just, yeah, and yeah, just yes. tried to emulate all yeah. of those things and basically just produce Failed. this kind of just flimsy uber bland. boring uber bland it's uber bland exactly Oy. thing so yeah I, I so disappointing because it's, it's a very disappointing I, just, as well. I know just, and like I just I'd find it really hard to recommend because I, I just don't see who would enjoy this Maybe maybe girls on kind of a cinema trip out 
kind of girls that would enjoy sex in the city too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds horrible. Me and Brian. But, uh, yeah, exactly. I am you a guys. girl who would enjoy <laughs> sex in the city too. Um, which is also on my worst movies of the decade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's and also just a kind of cash uh, yeah. in nightmare kind of scenario those, I god you watch it and you're things. like how how did they get away with saying some of that stuff like some of those lines in there are like that that's not good that's okay like really like Yikes. yeah do you have any of them hmm do you have any of the lines no but like even <laughs> i was watching the trailer oh and there's that whole sequence where like um the like muslim women hide them away and then they like reveal under their burqas that they have all this designer oh, clothes and bags Lord. and stuff on i think that that was for okay. me that's the low point of the movie that was a low point and then they and then they hide the sex and the women uh, the sex in the city women in the burqas so they can sneak away and it's all just very cringe and oh, no why do they keep doing that <laughs> and it's kind of sad because sex in the city movie the first one wasn't really needed but it was a nice kind of add on yeah. whereas two like it looks like that's going to be the last one because um yeah. your one oh my gosh what's her name King Cattrall yeah King yeah. Cattrall like, like the Liverpool has Cleopatra. no interest <laughs> No interest in doing them again. And it does sound like your one Sarah Jessica Parker was a bit of a nightmare. Um, although we don't we don't really know what happened. But basically, it's kind of sad that that's like their legacy number two, which is so like. I would love ugh. to find out more about behind the scenes sex in the city I, drama. It yeah. sounds like I'm being sarcastic. I really would. I know. Yeah, there is some like I've heard like I've read some of like the Daily Mail awful shit reporting stuff. I've read some it? of the things that Kim Cattrall has like said and written and it sounds like it was pretty horrible. Yeah. She it, was like bullied by the other three or something. Who knows? Who knows? Well who it's knows? it's it sounded like Parker was the ringleader. But again, you just never know with these things, do you? She's the ringleader. Yeah. Can you see that I'm writing it down? The mean for girl. Next? <laughs> I wouldn't have I, I yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. And it's also funny as well. She was in Ireland recently, actually. She lives in... Kim Cattrall. No, Matthew Broderick and Sarah oh, Jessica Parker. Matthew Broderick. They live in Sligo, don't they? Yeah, I'm in a still, place called Kill a Car. It's still the most random married couple ever to me. Seriously. Yeah, yeah very It's much just so. so weird. Like like Ferris Bueller and Carrie Bradshaw got married. Yeah. It's so weird to me. Although, uh, the last time Matthew Broderick was in Ireland with another woman, it was oh. Jennifer Grey from Dirty Dancing. Oh. That was an eventful trip. That was an eventful trip. And let's leave it there. Well, there you have it, folks. We do that love we do love our bit of gossip, don't we? Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, let's Brian especially. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, true, I do. It's true. I we are incredible. seeing out the episode this week with a Danny Elfman interview. Yes, for movie interviews. Movie interviews. Movie interviews. Yeah, uh, so Danny Elfman is uh, playing the three arena with Catherine O'Hara and Ken Page, and it's this uh, it's a screen to orchestra thing of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Just so cool. Yeah, which is really, really cool. And like for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is absolutely fantastic. They basically have a full orchestra. Um, it's all there, and then like Catherine O'Hara comes out. Danny Elfman comes out, Ken Page comes out, and they basically, you know, sit with the orchestra and sing their parts to what is up on screen. Sure. So it's really, really interesting. Um, but it's it's the National Concert Hall, isn't it, or is it? I think it's the Three Arena. If oh, you, it might be Three Arena. Yeah. Be his top actually, credits again. For Danny Elfman. Oh God! Like I mean, he did like Batman. He did uh, Ed Wood, Beetlejuice, Simpsons. He did Simpsons. 
all these kind of things. Like he uh, did the music for uh, Justice League. He did the music for Avengers. But he also Avengers, does the Ultron. voice of uh, Jack Skellington, right? Yeah, that's right. No and he, he is the singer. Yeah, sorry, he is the singer because he was in this. Uh, he was He's in the this... singing voice, not the speaking voice. Yes, okay. correct. Yeah. And he was uh, previously in a band called Oingo Boingo. Uh, in the 80s they were this kind of like a weird yeah they were like this kind of weird new wave band they were great I'm like actually like I spent like the first like 15 minutes of our 20 minute talk talking about Ongo Bongo uh, Brian no it was good no no it was good no no it, it fed in it fed into like talking about I was looking forward to this by the, the, uh, uh, by, uh, by the way you're right it was uh, 3 Arena I was getting mixed up because it's with the RT Concert Correct. Orchestra yes but yeah, it's at the Three Arena on the 8th of December. 8th of December. Sunday. My Sunday. favourite Danny Elfman thing is, I think it was like a Funny or Die or College Humour sketch about Tim Burton. Yeah. Did you see those? I didn't see that. What was it's it? It's like, it's a big boardroom meeting with Tim Burton and it's just slagging how paint by numbers it is. It's like, I can't remember. He's offered some franchise and he's like, quick, get me some gothic spray paint and get Danny Elfman on the phone. And it's like, Danny Elfman shows it's up. It's kind of like, true. I'd fairness. like it to be like, boom, boom, boom. it's everything he's ever done. It's fair. I mean, like, to be fair, like, I think, like, he's... I mean, you, you, you'll hear it in our talk. Like, we were on the phone for about, like, 20 minutes. Like, But he strikes me as the kind of guy that I think he's aware of his own kind of I don't want to say limitations but like okay he, yeah but like, in, he's I, got I, a style yeah he's got a style exactly He's he strikes me as the kind of guy that he knows he has a style when people hire him they know what they're getting and uh, yeah so it was a really really interesting uh, chat and you, yeah you, look forward to it actually yeah we'll round up what's on next week after this yeah before you called I was just kind of reading up and I did, I didn't realize this. You you you. I mean, I know you've kind of talked about this before, but you were saying that you've had um, you had like a lot of hearing damage from when you were working when when you were with Oingo Boingo, and that you've oh, yeah. yeah, and that you basically like stopped performing live. But this is your first time performing live in quite a while. Well, I mean, when I started up again, I started with the Elfman Burton and then Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's a whole different audio level being in front of yeah. an orchestra than being a band it's, uh, you, it's no comparison trust me yeah uh you know so i can handle these shows are not painful um and uh you know it's it's very manageable yeah so, yeah but yeah i did want to get at that point in my life uh getting off of the stage with the incredibly loud decibels uh, was becoming essential. Yeah. You know, it was really just beginning of the era of in-ear monitors that people use now. Yeah. And uh, at that point, it was so new, I didn't trust it because, uh, you know, I'd been hit by feedback so many times with headphones on in the studio. Um, you know, you, everybody's recording and suddenly the engineer hits a wrong button. Oh, no, it's literally... It's, 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 Oh no, it's like a it's like a rod through your brain, like it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. It's like paralyzes everybody for about an hour and then you start again. But I was afraid if that happened while it was in my ear, you know, that fear was <laughs> pretty awful. Now yeah. I think these days they're much better uh with protection, but you can imagine the fear of having something in your ear that might feed back. Oh no, completely. Like and I would think as well, there's also I suppose an element as well of 
you know, when Oingo Boingo, when I mean, I, I love Oingo Boingo, but like, I mean, I would imagine myself, you were thinking, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, realistically, how long can I continue to keep, keep this on when, I mean, w- was it a case of your passion was in composing that you wanted to change that and this was just one part of it? Or was it a case of? No, it was, it was more complicated than that. Um, I really wanted to get out of Oingo Boingo for about five, six years before I left. Uh, and um, it was really just a case of I'd done it and I wanted to move on. This is really even before uh, the composing really kicked yeah. in seriously. And uh, it was the kind of thing where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I think the thing that served me well as a composer made my life very difficult being in a band, which was that I'm, and now in hindsight, I could look back and go, I'm really a chameleon. I mean, every, every other year with Oingo Boingo, I wanted it to be a different band. Yeah. You know, to change completely, change the music. And the problem is, is to an audience that just doesn't fly, you know, and it's understandable when I go to a concert of a favorite band, you know, I want to hear the songs that, that made me love them in the first place. And so I may understand that, you know, they want to play new material, but that may, that won't keep me from being disappointed if they don't play the song. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Love. Yeah. It just goes with the territory. And I felt so frustrated by my inability to, uh, move, you know, just move on. Like yeah. you know, I started out, I just wanted to be a ska band. <laughs> but by three, four years later, I was already, okay, I don't want to be a ska band anymore. But uh, what are we? And then it began a decade-long kind of experience of trying to move into different realms. But, you know, the audience wasn't necessarily on board for that. And um, I think it's just my own restlessness. And um, when you're like that, it works better for a solo artist than a person in a band. Which is, yeah. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a solo artist, you could just start new projects. You could start a new band. You could, like, if you're David Bowie, you could do anything you want. But even if you're anybody else, you know, if you're, if you're Tom York, you could do a Tom York project outside of Radiohead and, sure. and form your own bands and, you know, start two different bands. Yeah, like Brian Ferry and Roxy Music. Like, I mean, I know he would have been a contemporary of yours. And when he went off and did his own thing, it was very much his own thing. And then when he came back to Roxy Music, it was Roxy Music. Yeah, and I, but I, I, I was, I had always this dilemma of once I played something for a few years, I just had a really difficult time continuing to play it. And um, so as a composer, however, I'm sorry, I'm pouring myself a drink. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. Period, go into a glass. Um, as a composer, that works well because mm. you're always wanting to put on a different skin, a different hat, a different color, something totally different. You can do something one moment and then the next film do something completely the opposite. And that actually is a good thing. Mm. But to your audience, when you're in a band, 
that's kind of more like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what are they doing? Um, so um, it, it was kind of an odd dilemma. I loved the guys in the band, but very quickly, I didn't like touring. And I didn't like the fact, that, you know, I was go, going kind of crazy having to repeat the material over and over. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I keep telling them with Nightmare Before Christmas, I said, I'm, look, I'm doing this because I never did Jack Skellington live ever. Right. I, I didn't think I ever would. And I do it seldom enough that it's still fun for me and fresh. But there'll be a point where that starts to feel tired for me also. And, mm. you know, that'll be it. I am not do it anymore. Yeah. Well, that was um, it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of feeds right into my next question, which was if you did feel that way about, you know, performing live at a band, how is it then that you're coming no, back? Because, to, um, yeah. With Nightmare, you know, if I'm only doing a half dozen shows a year, it's not perfect. Yeah. Um, it's not close to being enough time to wear it down. You know, when you go on tour as a band and you're doing six months or four months. And you're oh, it'll grind any joy out of it completely. Like, I mean, all the times that I've done Nightmare or Elfman Burton doing Jack Skellington on stage in its entirety doesn't even equal one three-month tour with a band, you know? Mm. So uh, I'm still at the point where, like, every three months if I do a show, it's it's really fun. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. And and hopefully still for a little longer. But uh, I think it's the pleasure of... Uh, doing material that I never ever imagined I would do live. I didn't write them ever expecting that to happen. Um, after not singing for 20, almost, you know, well, 18 years and coming out of Albert Hall and singing songs from Nightmare was, was really a wild experience. Yeah. Um, I just never thought that I would perform live again. And um, I also had many years of kind of stage fright built in. So when I yeah. retired from Oingo Boingo, I actually was relieved that I never had to deal with that again. You know, I'm not the only one who will say that. You know, a lot of performers, they love performing, but they have that incredible anxiety. Yeah. Fun of people at the same time. Um, it's a strange dichotomy. It's uh, not. I don't. I don't know. I don't know necessarily if it's that strange. I mean, I think there are a lot of people who just would rather create something and have it out in the world. But the minute you have to perform it, or you have to kind of give voice to it yourself, it's not necessarily that you have to stand over. But there is that element of you have to share it rather than allowing people to find it themselves. Maybe. Well, it's that. That's very true. But beyond that, also, there's this this fear of being in front of people. Yeah, just as uh, straightforward as that. Yeah, and um, you know, I remember uh, we used to when we first started early in the early days when we were starting to do really well in Los Angeles. Our favorite opening act was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and um, they opened for about eight or nine of our shows. <coughs> and I remember Flea backstage just getting ready to go on stage. And he'd lean over, throw up in the wings, and then walk out. And uh, so odd, isn't it? I totally understand that. Yeah. <laughs> that feeling of like, oh my god, it's just like 
your nerves are so up on edge. But then, you know, you turn that into your your performing yeah. edge to make it work for you. But uh, for me, it was this kind of a strange thing. It was a fear. Of, I, I don't like being in a spotlight. Yeah. But I'm performing the connection with the audience. It was kind of a weird, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a love-hate thing of uh, some people love being in the spotlight. They need to be in the spotlight. I, I'm very happy being invisible. Mm. Uh, you know, being in my best of all worlds, I would be a successful ghost. <laughs> you know, my work, my work would be successful, but I would be a ghost. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there's a connection with an audience when you when you find that kind of special moment that is it, it is is nothing or like that either. And you know, it was an amazing feeling after not performing Oingo Boingo all those years, coming out almost twenty years later after not singing at Albert Hall. And I was completely terrified. I was sitting in the back of the stage wing at Albert Hall mm. and I almost couldn't walk out. And Helena Bonham Carter was there and she had to give me like almost a shove saying, come on, Danny, fuck it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I went out there and I was really frozen for a moment and I started singing. And then this incredible feeling that the audience was so with me. Yeah. Uh, that I could fail. I could fuck up and they'd be fine. You know, Mm. It's like I wasn't going to get hung out on the street at a lamppost. I wasn't going to get tarred and feathered. Um, it was it was like a feeling almost of a safety net. Like it, it was just this great feeling of I forgot what that was like. You know, the audience is here. They're supporting me. Uh, if I screw up, I'll just start again and they won't hate me for it. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. And um, it, it was very moving. By the end of the show, um, it, it was kind of like forgetting for two decades what it was like having this great moment of rapport with with an audience and and how much I missed that mm. at the same time. So it, it was it was this kind of experience. And I remember telling my managers, because I was going to do it that once and never again. Mm. And it's like, and I said, you know, I'll do this for a while. This This felt good. And I'm always grateful to that London audience at Albert Hall really are responsible for me being out here doing these shows. Cause yeah. it, it brought back that great feeling of rapport that um, I remember even like from when I was in the clubs and those are the days I missed most with Oingo Boingo, you know, um, it was like being in these sweaty clubs and uh, when we were starting out, but, the feeling of rapport with the audience was so tight. Yeah. And um, uh, that is kind of an amazing feeling. So, yeah. you know, you balance, balancing out the fear of being in front of people with the rapport as a performer that you can create with an audience. It, it's, a, it's a complicated thing. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. But I would think, though, with something like The Nightmare Before Christmas, I mean... You know, it, it, it was such a, it, it is to this day, is such a cult hit that, you know, when you go to perform this live, the people that are there, I mean, it's not like, say, Batman, 
where it's so ubiquitous and everyone knows it. And, you know, when you hear it descend into mystery, everyone knows what it is. Whereas with Nightmare Before Christmas, everyone knows the lyrics. Everyone knows every single song. So the people that come to these shows, they know exactly what they're getting. They know every lyric before you even do. So there is that automatic sense of whatever you do, people will just be happy to be there with you. Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, um, I mean, so far I haven't regretted a single show. They've been really, they've been really fun for me. Uh, playing, doing Jack is fun. I feel such a rapport with Jack Skellington. Uh, you know, you got to remember, uh, creating those songs for Jack and the character of, of singing the songs. Um, it was really one of the things that was the saddest thing in my career when I did it. I put so much of myself into it and then it looked like the movie was going to die a quick death. You know, Disney didn't understand what it was. And it makes sense they didn't understand. They had no basis of what to relate it to. There was nothing like it in their universe. And uh, the fact that it got a second life is so rare that this is also something that drives me to go out there because the amount of movies that got a second light uh, is such a small handful, you know, whether it be wizard of Oz, it happened to um, Rocky horror picture show, obviously. Yeah. You know, these kind of cult hits like Donnie Darko or it's a wonderful life. Yeah. It's a wonderful life where they didn't enjoy a lot of success when they came out, but they, they were more appreciated later. Mm. And the chances of that happening are one in a gazillion. Yeah. And so I'm very aware of the fact that the one thing, if I could have picked one thing in my entire 105 films that I've done that didn't enjoy success, that I could wish would have a revival, it would have been that. And it Mm. did. It happened. So I'm grateful for that. And that also kind of drives me to kind of go out there and enjoy the character again, because uh, I enjoyed creating him. You know, I, I feel like he's part of my own personality so much that um, it's giving of yourself. Like it's, it's giving with yourself. I would yeah, think exactly. It's just like this kind of weird side of myself, and yet it's a different character. I know just where he comes from. Um, I know how to how he approaches a phrase and a lyric and a, and a tune. And um, I still enjoy Jack. I, I guess that's really the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned there earlier that, you know, you didn't, you never thought that you would have had to perform these songs live, but yet, I mean, I think back to, I, I think back to the first time I saw this and, you know, it, it, it strikes me. It almost has a kind of, vaudevillian sensibility you know that kind of way that there was something kind of you could totally imagine this being played in to some degree if you like being played in like I don't know like a Parisian theatre in the 20s or something I'm just I, it's, oh, it's, yeah. odd, it's yeah. odd that you don't think that you don't think these could have been performed live well it's because uh, they were inspired by in fact pieces that came from that period just like you're saying but you know because it's a musical um, you do the song once in the studio and you expect that's all it's ever going to be. Mm-hmm. And so it just, the thought of 
even writing the songs, I didn't imagine that they'd ever have to be sung live. You know, there's a couple of songs that are incredibly difficult. Like, what's this? There's almost no breathing yeah. room in it. <laughs> and I didn't have to worry about that. You know, when you're writing a song for a, a recording, uh, you know, you do a verse, you do a chorus, you do another verse. Uh, you don't have to sit there and do it as a single performance. So I just never thought about that kind of stuff until I was actually trying to do it as a live song. And I was like, damn, yeah. <laughs> these things are these things aren't easy to do but um i do love the challenge of uh performing these in sync with the picture it's so difficult to like actually stay in sync to count the bars and beats you know and it's not my usual thing that i'm used to where i i just uh go out there and do it mm. and um it, i i actually have to sit there and control my adrenaline and go, all right, I got seven bars. <laughs> I got six more beats, three beats, I'm on, you know? And um, there's, uh, it, it puts an entirely whole, uh, a realm of challenge above actually just doing the character, like uh, doing it live. So when we pull it off, it's, it's quite fun, but it, it's, it's challenging for sure. Yeah, yeah. How is, I mean, obviously you're kind of, you like, you're, you know, we've been talking about Oingo Boingo and, you know, your history with live performance. How is, uh, how is Catherine O'Hara finding these so far? I mean, I mean, I know she kind of comes from like a improv theater background, but I mean, how is she kind of finding it as well? Well, I mean, I couldn't speak for Catherine. I'll, sure. Only the fact that I really am only doing it, I think, because Catherine and Ken are doing it. Um, if they weren't on board for a show, I probably wouldn't want to do it either. Yeah. Uh, the pleasure of doing the show live is doing it with them. Yeah. Uh, having Catherine on stage with me, um, singing together is so much fun. And it's such a weird experience. I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and it's like, this is exactly I, I, I hear her voice and I go, that's exactly the voice that I remember from, <laughs> you know, a gazillion years ago. And, um, um, it, she's so fun and great. And Ken walks out there. He's, it's just amazing to me that he's still Oogie Boogie and, yeah. um, that he's, he's so incredible. I mean, we did one show at the Hollywood Bowl where he had to fly in from somewhere else and his flight got delayed and we were at our dress rehearsal. And he literally just came from the airport, walked into the backstage, came right out. They just handed him a microphone. He walked on stage and he was fucking perfect. <laughs> and it was like, I, don't, I couldn't have done that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like I would have to go through some mental switch before I could do that. And Ken was just, he's just like a monster. I was going to so, say, like those, like those theatrical guys, like those guys that are like, you know, spend years like in musical theater, those guys are just fucking machines. Like they just literally just have to churn these things out. Like, Yeah. He's, he's just so professional. And, uh, but Catherine, you know, like myself, you know, we have kind of both of us kind of odd performing background, not musical theater. You know what I mean? Mm. So, I mean, for both of us, it's kind of a new thing. And Catherine was very unsure in the beginning, coming out and doing it. You know, I had to really convince her that you, you're you still great. You know, you're still, the audience will love it. She was mm. worried that she couldn't do it. But being up there and having Catherine next to me and singing the finale together, 
it's just, it's crazy. I mean, I swear to God, it just, I still get tears in my eyes every time when I'm finishing it. It just brings back this flood of, of memory. And so it means a lot to me that Catherine is there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's what makes this experience for me special. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I, we're coming up on time, but I, 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 want, I did want to ask you this. Um, and I know this is probably like asking who's your favorite child, but I mean, if there was one song out of the entire soundtrack that you find the most satisfying to perform live, which one do you think it is? Okay, it, it's not the song that most people would imagine. Um, it's a song called "The Town Meeting." Oh yeah. And the town meeting for me is the one that I have the most fun with because it's a repartee and up and back and up and back and up and back with the different characters. And um, it kind of taps into my love of, I guess, Cole Porter and this whole type of kind of fun up back singing that one would see in a maybe a 30s musical or something like that. Yeah, And I don't even know quite what it's exactly from, but uh, when I finished that one, I was particularly happy and performing it. I really love because Jack keeps going through this kind of like enthusiasm, disappointment, enthusiasm, disappointment, enthusiasm, disappointment. And then finally he gets himself fired up to give his like uh, uh speech, like give them what they want. And he gets like really intense about selling it. And so, uh, the kind of characterization and the rhythmic quality of singing up and back with the characters, uh, that always was my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a be- I mean, I would have, I would have said something like, you know, this is Halloween or, or something, but yeah, no, that's, I, I get that. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, well, that's why I said it's going to be something that, uh, if you're, if you know the, if you know the, the piece, the nightmare uh, piece as a whole, um, I think most people would be surprised. They'd go, really? Oh. Yeah, but yeah. You asked me, so I had to answer. No, no, no. I mean, you, when you when you put it like that, that kind of makes sense, that idea of like the up-down kind of part of it. And yeah, the kind of like Penny Dreadful 30s musical theater kind of thing makes sense, yeah. Um, absolutely. And, you know, you got to remember that a lot of the inspiration for the songs came from Gilbert and Sullivan, yeah. came from Kurt Bach and the opera. So uh, a lot of these pieces do have a quality that they could have been on some kind of music hall stage, in fact. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, look, listen, I, uh, I won't take up any more of your time. Um, thanks so much. And uh, really good luck with the show. I, I, from all the reviews I've read seem to be really, really positive. So uh, really good luck with it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Nice okay. talking to you. Thanks, Danny. There you go. I haven't heard it yet, but I bet it was great. <laughs> very Oingo Boingo based. I liked Oingo Boingo. They were good. Like they were good. They were good. Crack. I'll add them to the list. So next week's show: archaeology uh-huh. anecdote. Yes. Defense of Indiana Jones: Last Crusade. Yes. Uh, Poirot impression needs yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian is going to defend his integrity. That is true. Look yes. forward to that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Sex in the City Two drama. I want more specifics on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, we're going to need. I have a feeling outside with Kim Cattrall. Uh, and are there any movies out? Yeah, there are. There are a few movies out. <laughs> got too much to get through. <laughs> Motherless Brooklyn. Uh huh. And we'll have Edward Norton on next week's show. So ah, we had um, Danny Elfman in instead because we got this 
release date slightly wrong. And Motherless Bookland's actually out next week. Oh, yeah. which you spoke to week. Norton. Me. I can't wait to hear that. Yeah, they yep. do crack, yeah. Alec Baldwin in the lead role. Alec Baldwin. Yeah, he's really good now. He's really good now. We'll also be reviewing The Last Rite, um, mm. which I think we've both seen. Have you seen it too? Yes, I have yeah? seen it. So we've both and seen it. It's a nice have... Irish. Oh, we might have interviews for that. We might have interviews with that. I have to check and see. Ooh. If not, they will be on site on entertainment.ie. It's a good podcast. Um, Exactly. It's a nice kind of little Irish comedy road movie. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. Also, Honey Boy, which I think Brian saw this morning. No, he did not. So not Honey Boy. Brilliant. Uh, (laughs) And um, Ordinary Love, which is the new uh, Liam Neeson movie. That's meant to be a bit of a bit of a heartbreaker. Mm. So I love that one as well. Class. Uh, Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, to see us out, Brian is going to do a Werner Herzog uh, Poirot mashup. Mm-hmm. Okay. <coughs> Let me get into it now. I actually look a bit like Poirot. Hello, with the moustache right now. As you can see, Mon Cherie, the murder is quite clear. It is the voice of constant murder. Good night and good luck to you all. Hey! hey. hey. We'll take that. See ya. <laughs>